John Bollinger with Premier Guitar, and we are here with legendary guitarist Pete Anderson. Pete, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, hey, why don't we start talking about this very cool guitar? All right. Um, I left Dwight in 03, and I was playing primarily Telecasters, Anders, Tom Anderson guitars for the, for the Premier Geeks out there. My buddies. So uh, I started playing with a guy on my label, and uh, we were doing more honky-tonk stuff. It was sort of like stuff that would have ended in the late 50s. So it was a lot more Gibson-oriented, um, kind of web pierce and kind of revved up kind of sounding stuff, P90s and things of that nature. And I didn't really have an instrument, and we were doing his record at my studio. We were tracking everything, and everything was fine. And I said, yeah, call me when you need me, and I'll grab a guitar and come in there and put my parts down. And I grabbed a Telecaster and I walked in there to play and it was like, this doesn't work. And I couldn't get the telly to work on the tracks. And I had a um, uh, Epiphone Joe Pass, Korean oh. made Joe Pass. Sure. And uh, so it was something that they had given me and it was sort of my faux jazz guitar because I didn't really have one. So I said, oh, let's get the Joe Pass. So I brought that in and I put flat ones on it and then I played it and it worked on the record. And we went to do a gig and I brought out the telly again and I went to play and I was like, this doesn't work. And just the six chords and the tetra chords, all the the four note chords and the diminished and the augmented, it just was different than the, than the Telecaster. So I started on this quest in about 05, 04, for the guitar to play that style. And I went in a big circle, went to Epiphone first, and they were like, uh, yeah, we could do it. And then I said, I want to do this and that. And they go, we can't do that. So I was like, all right. And then I went to somewhere else, and I went finally went to Gibson. I had a friend there, and then that didn't work out. And uh, finally, out of frustration, I just I called a friend of mine, Rick Vito, who had a deal with Reverend Guitars. Sure, for Fleetwood a, Mac, right? Yep. Yeah. And I said, Rick, what do you know about the Reverend guys? And he said, they always, they're honest, they're a small company, and they do what they say. I called the guy up. They had nothing like this. They made all these hard rock guitars, sure. right? So I called the guy up, and it was when the NAMM show was in Austin. And I said, you know, Pete Anderson, I said, yeah, yeah, we know who you are. And I said, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you about making a guitar. It's F hold this, that. And he goes, you got any drawings? I said, yeah, I had drawings for it. I said, come on down. So I went to Austin and met with him. And I had some drawings for the body style, just certain things Did that I wanted. Did you literally draw it out? I copied it. I copied. Huh. My, my take was this. I made this, pitch to, I made this pitch to Gibson, and it kind of didn't work. But it doesn't matter. The point being is that Gibson rules the F whole archtop world. Sure. They should, and they did, and they, Orville Gibson, we go way back. When you think of one of those guitars, I mean, of course there's D'Angelico's and all these other models, but you think of F, L5, Super 4's, all that stuff. Yeah. Why are they getting their ass kicked by, by uh, Gretsch? Because the body's not sexy. So yeah. if you look at the body, right, I copied a, a, the body style of a, of a Gretsch guitar. So if this are the hips, and this is the shoulders, right? And this is the waist. This is a much sexier looking body than let's say a Super 4 and L5 because they were acoustic property guitars, so the shoulders were wider. Nobody wants a woman with broad shoulders. You're dating, then you're dating a lady that was in the circus. A trapeze lady. They got the big shoulders. Yeah. So I tried to tell him, I said, guys, you're getting your butts beat. Make a sexy looking body because it's a lot of people are still hung up with, with the projection of an acoustic instrument and it's like, dude, there's electricity. We don't yeah. need it. I mean, when you need it, fine, but I mean, acoustic guitars are recording acoustic guitars in the studios. The ones that aren't the boomers are the ones that record the best. You know, Martin, again, the rule the roost, but they are, some of their instruments, I'm sure they've progressed, but they make plans for guitars that were gonna be loud at a hootenanny. 
Well, right. that doesn't work in the studio. You get a lot of overtones, so you start cutting the guitar, cutting frequencies out of it. Same thing with the electric guitar. A lot of these were built to be acoustic properties. And uh, so I went with a basic, I guess it's a, I don't know Gretsch guitars, I'm not uh, a Gretsch guy, but I went with their smaller body style, Gibson playability. Yeah, that's kind of like the country gentleman, I yeah. think. Okay. Yeah, okay. Like and a chant. Exactly. Yeah. And then I did, uh, I made sure that the neck angle, into this, this is the neck angle and the headstock angle. And these are really very specific in string tension. Right, so if this, if this is more severe, the tension is more severe. If this is relaxed too much, you're gonna have a problem a little bit with, with uh, how you set up the, the action. If it's too high, the bridge gets too far out of the guitar, the pickups come up too high, and you don't have as much sustain and resonance. So it's a, it's, it's a fine line. I sort of copied a 335, so this angle of the, of the neck into the body keeps my pickups pretty low into the body, which yeah. helps. And then the headstock angle for me is a Gibson headstock angle. So, so the tension should be like a 335. Now that said, my, I put 6105s, which is another mistake they make when they make retro vintage looking guitars. They, don't, they go too far, they don't consider the frets or the bridge. And then if somebody was to give me a retro guitar, I'd have to refret it and redo the bridge because the strings pop off and it's a big mess. And so it's like, great, but that's gonna cost me 300 bucks even though you gave me the guitar. So that said, I was very conscious of that. So I have the, the, the Dunlop 6105s, the neck angle, the width is a Gibson width. And I wanted the average player, because it's not an expensive guitar, it's not a carved top, um, it's laminated. I wanted the average player to be able to go into a, a guitar store, pull the guitar off the rack and go, you know, if I put my strings on this, I could play this tonight. I don't have a lot of work to do to this guitar to make it a playable instrument. That was my goal. Um, we did the, the silver tone punched outs, right? And yeah, the, very With the cool. binding, and we did a satin finish, kind of retro. Um, and then Joe uh, Naylor, who is uh, the guy at, him and Ken are the guys at Reverend, he came, I had no idea about bracing, so trestle bracing was like, guitars were really heavy, and that's what they use on the, on the Gretsch's. And Gibson's, they don't have, they have a acoustic bracing, so the sound runs away, you end up getting a, a, a $5,000 guitar and putting rags in it, it's like, right. so you're defeating the purpose. He came up with a brilliant piece of wood idea that goes like this and like this. So the bridge is pinned, the wood's on the low side, so it knocks up the bass frequencies down so they don't howl. So this guitar could be played pretty decent at volume. I'm not a loud player, but if I was playing clubs or whatever, I could play blues, country, honky-tonk, pretty much a working man's guitar. So I had to have a Bigsby on it, and uh, I was a Fender guy, so I used Fender tremolos, but the Bigsby tremolo, once I put in the heavier spring and really cranked the, the arm down to the mechanism, uh, most Bigsbys have, have quite a bit of travel before they move the spring, and I wanted it to, to uh, depress as soon as possible, so it's moving pretty quickly. But yeah. it's, it's so subtle that you can... Uh, it's a very subtle kind of little any, wave uh, that you can use. Do you have tuning issues at all with it? No, or? no. I have a. I highly recommend the Irvana nut, <laughs> and they've figured out the compensated tuning. So E and G are in tune. Oh. And if you play these chords, it's in tune. Uh, I have locking tuners up here, and I just switched over. Uh, the guy, uh, the people at Tone Pros have been unbelievable to me and supported me forever. And he came up with the, I was laughing at the NAMM show because back in the day, everybody was getting rid of the, rid of the plastic pieces. Right. Yeah. We got to have the brass. Everything was brass. And, and he said, you know, I'm going to make those old ones with the plastic pieces. I was like, I need to try those again. And they're like, 
little softer sound to them. And I don't really have an issue. It's locked. Once it's locked and stretched, I got pretty heavy strings on here, so that what, helps. What gauge do you run? Uh, this is a this is a fifty-six. Wow. And this is a, probably a twelve. Are you uh, are you at standard? Pitch? I'm tuned down to D. Okay. But the more and and the as the tours the gigs go on they get lighter and lighter. So I'm I was playing it the other day going man I need to go up and but the next one below a fifty-six with Diodario is like. It's not 57. Oh, it's like a bass <laughs> It's drum. like maybe 60 or something. Yeah. It's like a cable. Right. Yeah. Right. But uh, well, that's also the, so just to get this straight, the the um, the block stops right there. Yes, so it's yes. It's all open behind. Yeah. This is all open. Wow. It's just a piece of wood here and here, like an L. And he patented it. And it's beautiful. It's a great idea. Yeah, really clever. He's a Motor City engineer gearhead guy, you know. Huh. He's, he's got an engineering degree and he's determined to use it. Huh. That's great. Yeah, what a great, it's a great sounding guitar and yeah. beautiful. It is. I get a lot of compliments on it. I, I played this and the East Sider, which is my telly, on everything but two songs. I used a baritone and a, and a kind of a goofy guitar, but I used it on every song on the record. And I've got, you know, I've got great guitars, but these yeah. guitars are my, my instruments now. Great. Can we uh, look at the telly? Sure. This is called the East Sider. Okay. Because I grew up on the east side of Detroit. So I said, let's call it the East Sider. They go, great idea. Because they're from Detroit. Huh. At Reverend R. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you were a Motor City uh, I, guy. I'm a, yeah, I'm a refugee. Oh, wow, man. I always thought you were, I always thought you were like, a, I don't know, Southern uh, Texas or whatever. Well, my father was from the South, but oh. they, everyone went north to work in the auto factories, you know, many years ago. How'd you get into the whole hillbilly music thing? My dad had it on the radio when I was a kid. I oh. mean, you know, back in the day, I mean, even up through the 60s, you know, when I was uh, scuffling around on the streets, uh, you would hear... Satisfaction by the Stones and then Tiger by the Tail on the radio. It was literally popular radio. Right. That's what it was called. Now it's all fragmented and segmented. So we had a heavy dose of it. I had it in the house when I was a kid. It's it's a you know I lived in a in a blue collar neighborhood and most of the people were from the South um, or you know lower Midwest and they came up there to work in the factories. So the Opry was on when it, back in the day it used to be on TV. It was on and country music seeped in because it, it was popular music. So you know Skeeter Davis. You know it was. Skeeter Davis, Elvis Presley. Right. So you'd hear it all, and then uh, my motivation really um, very early on was was uh, um, Scotty with Elvis. Sure. Yeah. And I saw Elvis as a little kid, and I was really yeah. I mean, on television, not in person, yeah. unfortunately. But but um, when you're a little boy in the '50s, all your aunts, uncles, and neighbors go, "Hey, what do you want to be when you get big?" Well. There wasn't a lot of options, right? You had three TV stations, so you didn't know much. You go, fireman, policeman, you know. I think I said artist once, and I freaked my parents out because they were out of work. Like, artist, are you sick? You're not going to make any money drawing. But, uh, but you know, uh, sailor, whatever. And I saw Elvis Presley, and I said, I want that job. Right. You know, so I have a theory generations have 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 their 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 kind of flashpoints. Elvis was... My flashpoint. So there's a bunch of people that wanted to be Elvis. Not everybody can be Elvis. In fact, nobody, in retrospect, could be Elvis. But you could fall a little further from the dream. So could I be Elvis as guitar player? Maybe. You know, till you got down to, God, could I sell merch for Elvis? <laughs> <laughs> can I drive his car and hang out with him? So you know, and then it was the Beatles, and then it was you know Springsteen or whatever. Yeah. So for the for the other people. But that said, I saw Scotty Moore. I, it was the image of the guitar that I thought Elvis was doing. But in retrospect, it was really Scotty, and it's actually. 
uh, you saw the guitar I was just playing, and it's so uh, interesting to me now to be this part of my life and playing a guitar similar to Scotty's. Right. And actually now, because of my career with blues and country, bridging that gap yeah. that Scotty bridged. So I, I find that you know kind of an interesting kind of irony to that. And I got to meet him once, which was really cool, and, and, and just shake his hand. And that was that was a thrill for me. Oh, how great! But that was that was uh, that was what the catalyst was 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 seeing Scotty Moore uh, or hearing Scotty Moore and seeing Elvis with the guitar. But then blues took over. Yeah, well, that's an interesting parallel because you and Dwight really took that you took that whole country honky tonk thing, and you guys were like, you know, accepted by rock and roll by like yeah. punk people followed you and. Were you in the whole L.A. like punk scene? Yeah, we sort of, um, well, Dwight and I were two pieces of puzzle that fit together very uniquely in that Dwight had more, much more, I didn't know much about bluegrass, so he had bluegrass and hardcore country. I had hardcore country and blues. So when you put those together, you kind of got, when he would do the bluegrass, I would do the blues, and it came out rockabilly, which is kind of the mix, right? right? right. So we had this unique thing, um, and he's younger than I am, so I had some experience about certain things that he didn't have, and he had energy about certain things because it was his career. So uh, we started off literally playing just honky-tonks, just joints. Yeah. And L.A. is divided by the valley and Hollywood, and the valley was where all the honky-tonks were, and there was a healthy country scene back there. Pre-urban cowboy, pre-80, 79, 80, 81, tons. I mean, all country music was cut at Hollywood and Vine at Capitol Records. If you were mm. on Capitol, you weren't in Nashville. You were in Los Angeles. So wow. Buck Owens, Merle Haggard, Wynn Stewart, all those cats made their records in L.A., and there was plenty of places to play. So there was holdovers from that. And then the urban scene, which is Hollywood, was whatever was the theme of the day. Punk music had just started to die out, and the kids that had been playing punk wanted to play explore country music so it became cow punk yeah we're playing bars in the valley where they're shooting off guns riding horses through the bar we're about 10 years older than all these kids <laughs> and we'd all had collectively some quite a bit of experience playing real hillbilly music yeah so i told dwight you know we wanted to make a record and stuff and said man we got to go play they're writing about they wouldn't come out to the valley and write about us it's like yeah they're just they're afraid to go out there but we'd go to hollywood and play one of the cool clubs it was three bands a night. You didn't get paid and all that kind of stuff. And once once we got, you know, Dwight understood. It's like, we're not going to get paid. He's like, yeah, no problem. We just want to get in front of people. So we just lied. And he did all the talking to the club owners. He would talk their ears off. But he was like, yeah, we're cowpunk. We just lie. Yeah, we do all that cowpunk stuff. And they go, okay. And we get up there and just play revved up hillbilly music and blow their hair off because yeah. they were 10 years younger and couldn't play. Right. You know, and it was like Jeff Donovan on drums and J.D. Foster, myself and Brantley Kearns and Dwight Yoakam. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you guys were like the uh, like the uh, Mick and Keith of the hillbilly scene, man. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Had, we had a good run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sorry for the, for the uh, diversion. Let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> that guitar. Um, well, since I designed the other guitar with Reverend and I had... A few people coming out of the woodwork, uh, obviously, to say, would you do a signature Fender Tele-style guitar? Yeah. And I avoided it and avoided it. And I had a good relationship after about two and a half years with Reverend. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start playing my Tele or a Tele-style again in the show and do some things. And uh, do you want to make another signature instrument? And they were like, yeah. So we went around in a big circle and finally settled on, you know, not knocking off basically a Tele. Now, what's different about it is that... Um, the the wood the the wood here is uh, is Carina, oh, cool. and there's pockets here. It's a multi radius fingerboard. So is it chambered? Yeah, or? there's two little chambers up here. 
instead cool. of back here. Most guys chamber them back here and put a top on them. Yeah. He just put the wood and just cut the hole and it's under the pick guard. Oh, cool. So chambered in the front, um, they do a bunch of kooky stuff. I just turned it into a telly. They have a pop-up for the, they make a triple pickup with a whammy, same body style. Um, they make a satin sunburst and they make a black uh, with a satin with a, the, the uh, binding. It's got a multi-radius fingerboard. The oh. fingerboard is one 18th, 132nd. It's it's one slice under the Gibson and one over the fender. It's just oh. a teeny bit wider. Cool. When I first got it, I was like, this ain't going to work. And then I was like, after about two hours, I go, this is really going to work. And I've got a Nirvana nut. Uh, they don't. I put these on retro. And I have staggered. They come with locking tuners, but I put the staggered locking Clusons um, so I don't have a string tree. Oh, cool. Um, it comes with regular pickups. These are Seymour uh, pickups that I got from Seymour from MJ and uh, Stockbridge and uh, Strap Locks. And it's got a little contour here, a heel contour. Oh, great. So, you know, a la the Andersons. Did you kind of base this on one of your old favorite? Uh, well, or? I mean, in a hybrid sense, yeah. I mean, the Anderson, Tom Anderson made a lot of guitars for me, and they, were, they are great guitars. He had chambers in them. His chambers were different places. Um, I didn't have an idea to do chambers. Joe did it at Reverend. He goes, I want to do chambers, and that sort of controls the weight of the guitar. Um, but I definitely wanted a multi-radius fingerboard. I wanted my frets, and you know, and then as far as the the rest of it was pretty simple. I mean, and this contour, because Anderson does. I mean, a lot of guys are doing contours now, yeah. right here. So, I wanted a contour on it and That's a satin right. finish. Yeah. Hey, when you're kind of off subject a little bit, but when you're on your bridge, do you roll your tone back? No. It's always straight. I never touch the knobs. Really? Yeah. Used to use a volume pedal a lot, and then somewhere middle of the career with Dwight I, I was we had a steel player and it was like you know I'm not don't need to do it you know I was doing a lot of steel licks yeah and then I kind of sh shifted over to like let's not try to be so steel sounding but do steel licks but without the volume pedal so right. I become guitaristic more Amos Garrity kind of in my own way you know um, so I, I gave up on I didn't give up on the volume pedal I just don't use it yeah yeah, yeah the steel it like on a little sister that yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not with a volume pedal but yeah those are steel licks that's Absolutely. old yeah yeah wow okay let's uh let's look at your you don't have a pedal board right there's no I would I don't say let's have a pedal board what's wrong with me uh, we need to call somebody <laughs> I was gonna say let's look at your pedal board but no pedals right it's just I have uh Reverb and delay inside the pods, but yeah, I don't have any pedals. Yeah. I never had pedals. <sighs> no. You get the amp right, right? Oh. Hit it right, and then God bless you. Wow. <laughs> you got to make it work. God, that's way to man up. I tell you that many people. I'll tell you. Do that. The, I'll tell you a real quick funny story. We we had the hit with guitars, Cadillacs, and yeah, we came to we came to Nashville. We didn't know the lay of the land. We we're you know still relatively young, you know, and and uh, we came to Nashville, and uh, somebody said. Hey man, Mel Tillis is getting like, and Mel Tillis, they'd already run him out of town. He was yeah. down at the, you know, making more money than he ever made in Branson. Yeah, right. But it was like, ah, Mel Tillis won't play him on the radio no more, man. Yeah. We got Little Texas. I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, do you know Stonewall Jackson's playing the Opry tonight? Yeah, we won't see old Stonewall, man. It's like, that's the guy. So they kind of went into the next wave, and the guys that we loved were gone, you know, Johnny right. Cash and all those cats. And, Branson sort of was a safety net for a while, so said, Mel Tillis is giving you guys a party. We're like, what? Man, I like this town. I didn't even know Mel Tillis knew who we were. We're like, yeah, Mel Tillis invited you. He wants you to come down to his little studio around on Music Row. He's throwing a party for you guys. Go on down there. We're like, 
dude, we like this. Because it's like, we're going to meet Mel Tillis. It's, right. To us, it's huge. He's one, yeah, he's one of the guys, you know. He's, <laughs> he's one, of the, one of the cats. So they tell us how to go, and it's Mel Tillis' publishing. I don't think nothing of it. I walk in. Uh, Ricky Skaggs is first Bruce. Bruce Bowden. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bruce Bowden somehow was working there, and he was like, hey, Pete and Bruce. I said, oh, man, love your stuff, blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, let's go up in the back room. There's some little back room or something up there, and it was me, him, and it might have been Ray Flack or somebody, and I love Ray's playing too, and they were like, they go, you don't know what you did, man. And I go, what? I was like kind of worried, and he goes, that record, man, you didn't use any chorus or a Stratocaster. <laughs> and I'm like going, country music is a Telecaster and a twin. What are you, what are you guys doing? You know, and they were just like, you're, re you're revolutionizing for all of us, man. We don't have to use phasers anymore. You got no chorus on your guitar. Do you use a, do you use a, a, a compressor? And I was like, no, I don't use a compressor. And they're like, oh, you don't use a compressor, man. You don't use one. And it was just like uh, another, a very nice man and a great guitar player. Not Brett Mason. Brett, the other. Rowan? Brett Rowan. Nice yeah. man. He called me up once. Brett Rowan. I said, whoa, yeah. I just know who you are, blah, blah. He said, man, I love your stuff. I said, I know what's your rig, man. You want to know the rig? And I go, well, I got a Telecaster. I got a real good blackface twin that I bought from Jody Mathis that works real good. And he goes, that's it? And I go, that's it. <laughs> he was like, you mean you just take the guitar and plug it into the twin? And I go, that's what I do. And then I saw him somewhere and he goes, man, that's awesome. I went and got me one. It really works. Because he was doing all these high dollar sessions. Right. You know, but I was like, it was just kind of a disappointment. Were you using a like a slapback or anything like that? Or? I use a, I would use delay live, but uh, when I played in the studio, I always like to have the hint of spring because it was really hard to duplicate back then. So yeah. I would have it on much lower, and I would shape my amp a little bit differently, a little less bright and a little more bassy, but only by a half a number um, in the studio. Whether it was my Blackface Pre CBS Deluxe or my Blackface Pre CBS Twin, those were the two dogs that kind of huh. did all the work. There was a few, you know mongrels in there but most most of it was all that and um i don't think i can't remember i doubt that i ever ever i use slap live i use an old tube echoplex in the early oh, days cool. and then later on i would dial in slap as i needed to and, and in retrospect it was always a 16th note slap that i just was my sound yeah but uh for lot for recording no would do it post wow yeah so pure signal just yeah telly into it yeah wow yeah. that's great get it singing and Go at it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, man, let's look at your, All right. uh, at your amp rig. Yeah. Let's look for a pedal board. Yeah. So, uh, Pete, tell us about your amps. This is going to shock Yeah. Shock me. It's, we have a lot. I lost my pedal board. No, I don't have a. Sorry, I want to apologize. I don't have a pedal board. Anyway, so what I have are two first generation pods. Wow. To me, the oldest ones have the most fidelity. Now, I've been talking to my friends at Line 6, and they say, hey, man, we got the new dog. It's the coolest, greatest, and I'm going to go back and do some a in with them and stuff. But these sound the best to me. Wow. I had a friend that worked at Line 6 named Tim Godwin, who is now with uh, Taylor, Taylor Guitars. Yeah. And many years ago, he brought me into the Line 6 fold and said, he wants you to try this. I tried to figure out what it was, and finally I settled on cloning. And I said, do you mean there's one amp? Everyone's playing through one amp. There is one amp they brought, like the Blackface Deluxe, they brought in a Blackface Deluxe that a friend had and did the whole thing to it and they said, we're done. So it's not a simulation of a Blackface Deluxe, it is a Blackface Deluxe that they've cloned. So all the amps are cloned, so we understand that. So he said, 
play this and tell me how you like it. So he gave me a, one of their early flex tones or whatever it was. So I said, well, I can't really tell you. Once I understood it was a clone, I said, could I get the, 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 the amp you used to copy? He goes, I'll see if I can borrow it. He got it. So he got me the Blackface Deluxe. He got me the digital clone of it. I had two cabinets with identical speakers in it. I plugged them in. And I had Amp Farm at the time with that same Blackface amp in Amp Farm. Hooked three up, played the same song da -da -da -da, on all three, so all three rigs. Played it back in Pro Tools and did a blindfold test. I could never pick out the software from the real amp. Wow. I could pick out the amp, I could pick out the clone from the mother, but only because they weren't good yet at reamplification. In the software world, once it was recorded, I guarantee nobody could have walked in. Al Schmidt, it don't matter, could have walked in and went, there's, there's the amp farm and there's the real. Nobody could. Wow. So they got better with their amplification. So I was very fortunate, and I gave them my Blackface Deluxe, which had a lot of work done to it. It had a, it had a big transformer, kind of a twin transformer. It had six, the hardest uh, groove tube, number 10s, whatever, the, the cleanest tubes. Had a solid state rectifier, had some other stuff cleaned up inside of it. And it was just about as powerful and clean of a two-tube fender. Like, I don't know what that would be. Maybe the power of a pro or a twin. Yeah. So that was what I used. I had one, then I had two. So initial days, I had two of those. Anyway, I brought that amp to them, and I brought a uh, Silvertone. I think it's a 1489. It's the little gray one, and it's got a triangular grill cloth, and the knobs go down the side. And they, they sampled both of those amps. They digitally cloned them and gave them to me. And I'm the only one that ever, they, they never did anything with them. Wow. And they gave them to me. And they gave me and said, here's a pot, here's it on ship. It saved me. I mean, I was, I played a big club, I played a big outdoor place called Chastain Park in, in uh, Atlanta, big outdoor amphitheater. And my amps totally went down. And I had my direct line was my pod with my deluxe. And the guy at the soundboard started blinking the light like, I got you, keep playing. I was like at the edge of the stage playing a solo and everything, I could hear the amps go away and I'm like, but I could sort of hear out in the house, I didn't have in-ears and he's going, I got you. So I just played on radar, finished the solo and then they got things working. So it saved me and he had a direct sound to the house, but they're, they're pretty much near identical wow. to my, to the silver tone and to the, and to the deluxe. So when I'm playing, I'm basically playing through my Blackface Deluxe on every song, so these, except for Slide. So these pods are that yep. clone? Yes. Oh, so these, so these are unique? There's no... Yes, yes. Oh, okay. But we're talking about, you know, the, the company is coming full circle with all this new stuff. Yeah. They claim they have new technology that can nail this. Wow. And then do a couple more of my amps. And they said, can we market your amps? I said, yeah, let everybody have them. Wow. Because some guy called about, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and he said, I found some more of Pete's chips. Do you want them? And I got and, and we got some pods because nobody uses them anymore because they were outdated. I said, send them over. So I got about six of them. So these two are identical. Awesome. And um, then all the reverb and all the delay is programmed. And again, I went through all the cool boxes and I A-B'd and I went, pod, I don't hear it. I don't need, I mean, I love analog. I don't need an analog box. I don't need a rack-mounted box. I got it in the pod. So all the reverbs and delays are in the pod. Um, I don't use compression, but I gotta tell you, there's a one-to-one -one compressor in there that is so transparent, it's shocking. Wow. It's shocking. So that's what I use. So 
So your signal flow goes from... I go into a wireless. A wireless and what? Nady Wireless. Nady Wireless, it's yep. the okay. So the latest have, one with the metal packs. Oh great, so you have two of those. Yeah. Um, let's see, what's the, water, what's the model number on that thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know, we'll find it's out. It's the latest. Latest, they, they, latest they, one. Nady's been with me forever. They, oh you great. Know, Mike Perez has been golden. The company's been golden. I can't say enough good things about it. So you from run the, from the from go, the Nady Wireless. Yep, and I go into a splitter box and and hit both pods. Okay. Come out of the pods. And one one's dry and one's wet. One's pretty one has a little reverb or a haul. I will put a little one's that one is not it dry is a misnomer, it has a little bit of something. Uh -huh. Not delay, a little bit of room or plate or something. But very little. Yeah. The wet has the wet side has all the delays and all the reverbs and everything. And you set it and forget it. You never right. You well, I'm MIDI. Yeah. And I'm on a click, so oh. my drummer plays to a click. So I step through my songs, and I time my delays per the click. If I oh. want a sixteenth note slap, I want repeats, whatever I want it to do, it's timed oh, that's by MIDI. Great. So these are all switching MIDI, and then they go out left and right to these cabinets. Um, oh, and into the amp first, or they? Uh, well, yeah, they go into the power amp. And the the amp. Um, tell me about that power amp. It's a stereo power amp. It's uh, I think it's forty five a side or. And it's called the Fryette. Fryette, Steve Fryette, who was VHT, now he has his back to his own company again. It was VHT, now it's called Fryette, F R Y E T T E, and he's one of the best you know amp builders understands tubes crazy and he's the one that's got the single rack space one that's coming out that's just going to be awesome wow. um and then it's got it's got a little bit of doodads on it it's got a presence control it's got kind of a, a bass shift it's got an up a class a and a class a b button so you put it down it's a little dirtier put it up it's a little cleaner mm. so it's it's fairly versatile but it's i mean i've had that power amp for 20 years wow on the road Wow. On the road. Never blew up. Wow, amazing. Took it for servicing. He fixed some tubes and stuff. So it's it's beyond bulletproof. And I'm sorry, how many watts is that per side? It's like 50 a side, 45 a side. Huh. I mean, I'm on, if I'm on a clock from zero to, you know, I'm on like three and a half. Yeah. You know, and it's got a, it's got a half switch button where you can, you can uh, punch it in and then hit it harder. But I'm trying to get a little cleaner sound. Sure. Yeah. So... Uh, wireless into pods, pods into the Fryette. Right. Fryette into Wet these and dry. two yeah. caps. Yeah, dry with just a touch and then uh, more delays and reverbs in this cabinet. And then we XLR from the pods into the house. Oh, okay. Yes. So they're getting both the direct signal and your, and your mic cabinets. Well, they're not, they're sending a signal. They're not oh. getting a signal. I XLR out of the pods into the house okay so he can mix me like today we have we have mics on here because we're not we're using their monitor system usually I'm on in-ears yeah. and I have no speak no microphones so this is just stage fill oh. and you hear a little bit of this and then the rest is the house Wow and that's how I do it and everything is XLR so literally the front of house usually at a big bigger show is just hearing the pods no right cabs no tube and no only 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 blowing off of these, wow. whatever you get off that. That's amazing, because it yeah. sounds, I mean, I would never know. Okay, so tell me about these cabinets. You had these made, right? Yeah, so the, the cabinets are wet and dry, which we talked about. This has just a splash of reverb or hall or whatever I decide. 
from inside the pod. And then this one has a delay and, and usually a spring reverb. I'm a big fan of spring reverb. And, and I've gone from a very soft delay. I've moved up through the years to a much harder delay. So I'll, I'll go from analog sometimes to digital because I want the return to come back as clean as, back in the day you didn't want that, right? Yeah. It was like, oh, I want it brown, but now I'm, I want it to sound like the note. So uh, the cabinets are made by the company that makes cabinets for Victoria amps. I can't remember the name of the company. Was it? Did you say it was? I thought Weber? it might be Weber in okay. Indiana. They're in Indiana. I saw an ad in Vintage Guitar Magazine, and they said cabinets. Called them up, and I said, "They said we make cabinets for Victoria." I said, "Great, you'll know what I want. I want Tweed Deluxe cabinets, but but just speaker cabinets, extension speaker cabinets, but put black on them and put the the this pre-CBS grill cloth. No problem. So they made me two little 112 cabs. Went around with speakers a little bit. I used to use EVs with the white, and it was like, and it's great, but this is a softer. Super clean. Yeah, yeah. super clean. This is a softer sound. So I ended up with uh, the Cannabis Rex. Um, these that, are, I guess they're called, is that a Patriot? Is that what it is? Yeah, uh, by, uh, by Eminence. Eminence yeah. And the Eminence people have been unbelievable to me. Great company on the cutting edge of making everything yeah. cool stuff, like really stretching out and trying different stuff. Yeah. So I've got these two Cannabis Rex speakers in here. Cannabis Rex, to me, the speaker is a little brown, and it's very even. So as it goes, you know, it's not the most hi-fi top or bottom, but we're talking about guitar, which is like a tenor saxophone. It lives in the mid-range. So from the top range of that speaker to the bottom, to me, it feels very even. I don't see any bumps, anything sticking out, any mid-range bumps, low bumps, high bumps. So it's a very even-sounding speaker, and that's why I like them. So yeah. I've been using those. But they sound killer. Now, in the studio... You're still using the pods, or do you, and are you are you using your cabinets as well, or just no, no. all direct? What I'll do in the studio is I'll just, I have another pod that, if you saw it, it looked like it was drugged behind a truck, the wow. original one, and it just, it just stays on the desk in the studio. So I'll dial that up, play, and usually take a direct line, um, and then I'll go back, usually if I get, like on my new record, I got all the sounds on my new record, Birds Above Guitar Land, through the pod, I take a direct line out, and my engineer, Tony Rambo, uh, is a little bit younger than me, and he still loves amplifiers, right? And I love them, too, but yeah. that said, he's just, like, geeked for tubes. Right. So I said, okay, Tony, do some reamping. So he'll go back and take that direct line and reamp and, like, sneak stuff in. And we, were, we, we wanted a little more room sound, and we mm. figured out how to get my studio a better room sound in my studio because it's not big. So he went back and did some reamping, and reamping would be using the, mostly the deluxe sound of the pod, and then uh, I've, got a, I've got a Tone Master that's a great, great, great amp built by Bruce Zinke. I have a Blackface Twin that I bought from Jody Mafis that my road manager laughed at me because it was so beat up and it was like 200 bucks, and I was like, dude, you don't know what I just bought. Wow. Pre-CBS pre, pre Blackface. And then I have, I still got my deluxe, one of them, and um, I don't know what else I used. I might have used this new little kooky amp by Steve Fryette can't remember what he calls it. It's got a goofy name. But we would reamp through those and then blend. Yeah. Just get a little blend because I want that room sound to come real. I want. Sure. I don't want to go have to get a room sound out of a box. Yeah. So other than that, but I've done tons of recordings with just the pod wow. and no reamping. And Amp Farm before the pod, Amp Farm. The only reason I stopped with Amp Farm is that my computer got antiquated and it blew up and then I never had Amp Farm anymore and I was like whoa and we said well I'll just start using the pods again. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So now right now you're out um, with your own band playing all the time. 
Yeah, my new record, Birds Above Guitarland, came out September 17th. It's second in the trilogy, or the, or not the trilogy, but my new plan, which is not to be anybody's guitar player, make my own records, work on Pete Anderson as an artist and a guitar player and an educator. I love doing seminars and working with uh, young guitar players and stuff like that. And I love to play. I love to play, you know, as, as if I got it in a zen, I want to play my guitar in front of people. Now, what do I have to do about that? I have to make a record. I have to get a van. I have to get a band. All that stuff, no problem. As long as I can play guitar in front of people, I'm in. So that's what I'm doing, you know, and um, got my guitar with Reverend and some other stuff cooking with acoustic guitars and amplifiers and people that I work with. But it's all focused towards me playing my instrument, writing songs and doing some education. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pete, man, I'm a fan. It's so great. Thank you. Thanks so much for uh, seeing us today. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Yeah. So this is John Bolzer from Your Guitar. Thanks very much. Favorite magazine. <laughs>